Hello, everybody, and welcome to Spooky Action at a Distance, a new podcast that we're just starting today in the uh, ashes of Dr. Zen and the Greatest of All Sinners. We'll give a little bit of an explanation for where we were and where we're going. But for now, love to be speaking to you on this Sunday afternoon from Boulder, Colorado. My name is Ray Augustinelli, and I'm here with Paul Augustinelli and Jeffrey Lawrence Whedon. How are you doing today, Paul? Good morning. Doing good? Good, good, good. good. And yourself, Jeff? Spectacular. You know, so... Let me get into what you were just talking Please about. Please do. So the podcast rebranding contest that we ran for about six or seven months uh, with Dr. Zen and the Greatest of All Sinners really has become a cultural and social media phenomenon. True, true. Um, mm-hmm. It's still a fire. And we have not, you know, we've settled on um, spooky action at a distance. Indeed. Um, awesome. And uh, something I know we've um, t- we had talked about, you know, Three Kings or Ray, Paul, and Jeff and other, and the, the cat is now watching me. Um, <laughs> Nathaniel's hamstring pull was getting a lot of, uh, on the internet. Saying, I, I think they were just joking about that. Well, I don't know. It came in second, I think, in the in the poll, right? Yeah. But, and, uh, so I think we dodged a bullet on that one. I know. It was, <laughs> it was, and then third was Nate's hammy pull, which is the same thing. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't, I don't know. so uh, you know, if one of the listeners uh, gave us the winning entry, we, of course, will come through yeah. with the promised uh, F-16 fighter, I think, is what we're giving away. One of those. Yes, correct. Right. But I think it's yeah. actually going to be one of the Osprey, the vertical takeoff and lifting things, yeah, uh, we, landing things at um, one of the Warcraft. It was all the accessories. Yeah, yes. and made out of high-quality cardboard, right? Right. And <laughs> yeah. so, the you know, I think it's uh, maybe Dr. Zen and the Greatest of All Sinners accomplished all we had needed to. We yes. brought a, a sort of world piece yes and, and at least among the three of us um and it maybe a little bit constraining and it's kind of fun to be starting something new what, what do you guys think really excited yeah i mean I, it changes everything really <laughs> they made, you know let's face it it changes everything <laughs> well i'm happy not to have to continually refer to you as a sinner jeff i know that in some ways you see yourself as being so but uh i i rarely see you commit sins i mean not, no more than one or two a day so i don't know a sinner yes i guess is the thing greatest of all i, I just think there's others out there so i think it liberates me to see you in a different light Likewise, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Although so it does make the question, if I was the greatest of all sinners, wouldn't you always never see me sinning because I'd be that good? Ooh. Anyway, oh, I just right, want to move right, on. Right, right, Let's right. move on. Let us move on. Let's move on. We, we are going to cover a lot of the same topics. Our, our areas of interest, I think, continue to be those that they were. So it's not that we become different people entirely. Yes, what's up? One little, yeah. you know, I got an extra little thought. Yeah. Sometimes, uh, unfortunately, I impose my... My thoughts on you is instead of getting into the podcast proper. No, it's part of the format. Oh, yeah. sure. Uh, and so, so recently, I've lost about thirty pounds. Wow. Uh, by the way, thanks for not noticing uh, mm-hmm. both of you and not bringing it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really cool. We're good. You're that's welcome. great. Uh, it's perfect for me. Um, it did lead me to a situation where my underwear is a bit more of a relaxed fit, as it were, mm-hmm. which I'm actually really enjoying. Mm-hmm. Didn't know mm-hmm. it. Oh, wow. Gone my whole life oh, yeah. thinking a certain underwear. Wow. Feel fit was the right way to and do it's it. not anymore oh. and it's it's it, it feels wonderful is there anything that has been a recent change in your lives or even if it were a recent surprise change of some kind does this have to be underwear related or just in general <laughs> I didn't think about that I guess it could be anything I was uh-huh. really thinking it would all be focused on underwear <laughs> right right yeah. well I mean the overlap I guess for me is the fact that just last night I read aloud the book creepy creepy underwear um, wow. To my uh, granddaughter. Yeah, that's and, probably a. And it was. It, I, I, I think life changing might be a little bit much, but uh, moving. 
moving document. Yeah, I think moving record. That's probably record of uh, uh, I forgot the kid's name, Oscar or Roger or something like that. It's always and you know what the weird thing was? It wasn't just the text of the document that moved me. It was the fact that I was reading it to my granddaughter in bed at night. Yeah, that's that's both a tactical and a strategic error. Oh, we can probably (laughs) Uh talk about that offline. Okay, I think it sounds like a category error because I'm not sure I really addressed the question. Paul, how would you address? Yeah, (laughs) the only thing I'm coming up with is uh, going out to doing some business, you know, presentations out this the last week, and you've got your wardrobe pack, your professional wardrobe pack. I put on my sock. I got holes in my socks. Oh, that's oh. Before going to the presentation, I'm like, can I? Am I going to be taking my shoes off? Is this legit? Is it going to affect my self esteem and confidence to have this while I'm giving the presentation? Mm -hmm. It's a bad moment because I think most of us don't think of ourselves as a guy who walks around exactly. And then when you are, you're like, wow, it was something changed. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, I'm glad we were able to get a little contemplative. Thank you. Ray, yeah. um, I'm glad you were able to uh, get uh, Child Protective Services. <laughs> so that's nice. It's, it's, I think it's one of the top rated ch- children's books nowadays. Uh, creepy, might creepy be. Everywhere. It's a sequel, and I'm not joking, to Creepy Creepy Carrots. <laughs> okay, let's move on. I think, I think we've, we're bottom feeding at this point. Well, uh, did you have any other introductory <laughs> remarks, Jeff? Or? Thank God uh, that I, I don't have anything more. Uh, so. So, so just as a teaser to our folks out there, we've got topics to discuss tonight, which include real innovative stuff around free energy and its relation to artificial intelligence. Uh, we're going to talk about Ultima Thule, the object out in the distant uh, universe that oh. <laughs> uh, cameras have got their eyes on See, nowadays. I had, I had prepared some stuff on Uma Thurman. Oh. Oh, you did. Well, you got the memo, but you misread the memo, Mike. Which is pretty ugly because I had to read, be, yeah. I had to read, I watch Be Cool a second time, which is a horrible, right. horrible film. Yeah. Well, you know what? I think our Let's audience. Move on. It was a waste. I think our audience over, our audience overlaps. It's the, it's the Ultima Thule, Uma Thurman, overla- Venn diagram mm, right, overlap. Whatever. You go with that. Right. You go with that. Um, we're going to talk about the Oscars, college basketball, and maybe get into some Amazon and what they've been doing in New York City, or more properly, not doing in New York City. But let's start with that free energy AI. You posed the question to us, sent us over to an article, very fascinating, uh, around uh, an innovative theory by a genius guy dealing with art, uh, you know, free energy and how that might impact artificial intelligence. Yeah, and, and up how, with it, that, it, it was freaky. Might have been difficult enough just to yeah. talk about free energy. We'll talk yeah. a little okay. bit about that, but then yeah. somehow that how oh, that's a bridge to AI. Um, as two of my as as kind of my go to smarty farty friends that I have in my life. I thought I would throw this your way. It's uh, It was uh, in the thing November Wired. Mm-hmm. Um, G- the genius neuroscientist who might hold the key to true AI. And at the end of reading the ar- article, I wasn't sure who he was or what AI is or what free energy is. But um, Carl Friston mm-hmm. at the University of Colorado, uh, w- sorry, sorry, University College London. And that does not sound like a real thing. Does it? <laughs> Does that sound like an audience? University College? University College London. Yeah. yeah. So the whole thing is a little shaky to me, but he supposedly theoretically invented a statistical parametric mapping in mm. 1990. Which also sounds like a not, <laughs> not a real thing. thing. Yeah. <laughs> but wait a minute, it gets better because out of a statistical parametric mapping comes uh, a voxel-based 
Morphometry. <laughs> so this all sounds like um, like it's I'm making it up, but this is all real stuff. No yeah. one knows what it is, but it's real. And the yeah. first two things are introduced to brain imaging and mapping. He's never uh, won a Nobel, by the way. I want to want to mention that. But I believe it, I think the article said he's on sort of the short list. Is that right? Is there was, kind of well, there's some uh, predictive uh, blog yeah. which you know might be a dude at the university college <laughs> one. Handicap. They have everybody. The rest got. Handicapping yeah. the next guy's to get it. He's yeah. supposedly right there. He's bubbling up. Right. He's, uh, he's uh, with a bullet. They picked her. Dylan, actually. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so for the astrophysics Nobel. They said <laughs> they said his age index, <laughs> um, which is it, it's your research publications, was nearly twice the size of Albert Einstein's, which is a little unfair because he probably has an age index higher than Galileo <laughs> and Newton too, because right. they weren't spending a lot of time in the published or perished world. <laughs> anyway, so he does all this kind of crazy stuff. Um, they uh, they oh, oh, and I think it's. Cl- <laughs> The people who handicap, like you were saying, the next Nobel Prize winners, it was called uh, Clarivate Analytics. Again, not a real thing. Anyway, so his <laughs> he talks about this idea that and, and free energy is best I can do it because it said the greatest minds in the world don't understand this. So I in my podcast with you guys, <laughs> well, maybe we'll hear that the weakest minds of the can <laughs> in the world can. So okay, let's give it a shot. <laughs> it's that essentially all everything that's living in some way that has cells and in and, and particular things that have minds with neurons are driven by a universal imperative, uh, which which is moving towards free free energy, yeah. right? And then and that that could and should be reduced to a mathematical function of some kind. <laughs> to stay alive, you act in ways that maximize free energy. Mm-hmm. So okay. there, I've said how I understand it. I still don't know right. what the hell it was. Well, I, so I, I or what has to do? Yeah, with so I, I, I also <laughs> confess that I did not understand the the essence of the theory. I, be, I believe that what what is intriguing about his theories, you guys feel free to correct me if I'm misinterpreted, is that it aspired to address in some way the conundrum that comes from the fact that you know the second law of thermodynamics says that the the universe tends towards dissipation, entropy, right? Uh, uh, the, no, the and, second, and the second law is is that if you drop toast, it's going to fall on the buttered side. Okay. <laughs> that, that is Murphy's second law of thermodynamics. Yes, yes. I'm sorry. Right, exactly. Second Continue. law of toast. Yeah, right. Second law of toast. Yeah. That's the second law of it. So, right, so the universe should, so how do you explain the fact that things exist at all, right, that we're comprised of bodies that are that have coherent and bounded relationships between atoms and that mind exists and this sort of thing. And um, so so I think that's the, that's the thing that we're trying to understand. So you get these really esoteric interpretations or theories that try to bridge that gap between kind of the laws of entropy and the fact that we exist and stuff like that. So I uh, I don't have the answer to that question either. <laughs> and that was a but funny you know what? If somebody has anything that even remotely sniffs like an answer, man, he gets my attention. And I will say that about a year or so ago, I, a guy crossed my radar who had an equally intriguing theory to my mind. Jeremy England was his name. He's at MIT. Um, and he had a, a, a sort of a deep dive into the law of thermodynamics from a very physical level. He was a physicist uh, doing some experimental stuff. And he was uh, um, trying to answer that question. And you know, a quote from him is that you start with a random clump of atoms. And if you shine light on it for long enough, it should not be so surprising that you get a plant. 
So he was actually deriving a version uh, or an, I don't know if you'd call it a, an axiom or an extension of the, the second law of thermodynamics that said that it, do, it does in fact uh, doesn't just aspire towards the dispersion of things that given enough time you do get this combination of things that come together in a sense of order that's built into the nature of the atomic structure into physics itself so that's a, that's I thought the same thing <laughs> so we are all in agreement that we do exist <laughs> is this all is this all a, a way for smart people to try to under, to try to get around sort of what is maybe some of the biggest ontological cosmological questions of all and that is is that you know it's the sound of music principle that nothing comes from nothing right. nothing ever could right so then where do we so. come from right. is it the cosmic Right, right. whatever, and right. that sort of thing. Is there an intelligent? Does God exist? I mean, it gets into all those things. Is there some presence out there that created right. us because, but for the existence of some force that we're not yet aware of, we shouldn't exist, right? right. So it's an it's an uh, Aristotelian proof of God mm-hmm. is that that sort of thing happens. Mm-hmm. That there nothing could have come from. Mm-hmm. I mean, something could not have like come that, from nothing. Right. Right. So, 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 so a smart guy. Uh, yeah. We read the article. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he may be onto something. I don't know. Right. The, 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 the troubling and hilarious thing about that article for me <laughs> was how he doesn't seem to be able to explain this theory clearly to almost anyone. And these amazingly <laughs> right. intelligent people from across the world right. have to sit and listen right. to him for two hours and they still go, what the F are you talking about? And you know, spooky action at a distance was Einstein's way of saying your theory is nonsense. It doesn't explain this mm-hmm. thing. And Einstein is famous for being able to still down to very simple expressions, these deep mysteries. That's what made them elegant and beautiful and true. And the fact that this guy can't do that mm-hmm. puts a big sort of question mark for me. I'm like, mm-hmm. whether there's a there there, whether mm-hmm. the big gap, right. the mystery here is just like confusion, you know, yeah. and lack of clarity. But the thing that makes me think I think he might be onto something. The comparison with Isaac Asimov's Psycho History from ah, the Foundation Trilogy. What? Yes. One of the one of the influential works of fiction for me as a 12-year-old boy reading that got me off loving science, loving science fiction. Do you guys read Foundation? Yep. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Of yes. course, right? Yep. Yeah. And now they're like, this is explaining, you know, how uh, things form, including social entities uh-huh. and collectives and things like that. And maybe there's something to that. So I'm willing to, you know... Give it a go. Give Maybe it a there's something okay. here. Yeah. He may earn Paul's Nobel yet. Wow. <laughs> Very good. Well, wow. Fascinating stuff. Cool stuff. Well, let's stay with sort of physics and an astrophysics uh, flavor, which is this. That's ul- sexy. Yeah. This <laughs> Ultima Thule thing, which is totally sexy, as is Uma Thurman. Um, it's this, so this sort of, um, I, I don't know if it counts as the, the object farthest out from the Earth that has now been directly observed or, you know, the news of this past week was that we, the photographs were captured of this thing. Uh, very clear photographs. I believe it is the farthest thing yeah. out, and I just find it awesome and inspiring mm-hmm. that it's a, a billion miles beyond Pluto, yeah. and we're catching this thing, mm-hmm. and we're getting this image, and we're like, what the... It, what is going on? It looks like there's something artificial that's right, kind right. of created this <laughs> peanut shape with a collar in the middle. Right, right. And, and all of this, I was just massively impressed by the fact that we got this thing when the the description of how it happened is that these two 
these two these two objects, right? The object and then the, the satellite that is uh, taking the picture past each other at 32,000 miles per hour in dim light. <laughs> and it actually gets this amazing right. picture with, right. I think it's 33 meters. Yeah, 33 meters per pixel. That's incredible <laughs> resolution on this thing. A billion miles out there. I'm happy if I'm like driving 60 miles an hour down through Rocky Mountain National Park, 40 miles an hour. There's an elk on the side of the road. I'm tracking across with the camera on the camera phone, and I get this like blurry picture in the side of the frame. It's like, got it, right? 32,000 miles and this high resolution picture. Here, here. Right. That's a lot of funny, funny about an object that is obviously the beginning of a science fiction film where we all die because there's nothing natural about this object. There's nothing. So, it, you know, it's got two things, two blebs stuck together in the middle with a, a something, a, a band that's a different color than the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And it's got, tell me about the, uh, how did they describe, we were talking a bit about the, do you remember that? What they were describing some of the features? The, the, the project scientist, yeah, the quote was, whether these features, and these are the pits in, in, in the surface, whether these features are craters produced by meat impactors, sublimation pits, collapse pits, or something entirely different is being debated in our science teams. Or gun ports or cockpit windows, <laughs> which is exactly what it is. Now, perhaps this is just my own fear-based world and my own no. silliness. Because maybe this is just kind of Ultima Thule is a production of kind of the infinite monkey theorem theory of asteroid development. And that if you have an infinite number of asteroids, which the universe very well may have, you're going to have one that eventually looks like Marilyn Monroe or Brad Pitt <laughs> or two blobs with a collar and right. gun, gun ports. <laughs> or... It's a either a probe or a Warcraft, and I love the fact that no one's talking about it because that's exactly what would happen at the beginning of the movie, and everybody'd be like, "Well, no, we nobody'd be that dumb. We would all see it. We'd all be ready. We'd all see it and be careful and cautious and skeptical, and yet it's happening in our world, and yes. no one's mentioning except Jeffrey Lawrence Wheat. <laughs> well, this is one thing I love about the fact that that we have these cameras that can take these photographs at thirty-two million miles an hour, or whatever it is, billions of miles out in space is that it invites us to respond to it in some way. It is this new thing that we're seeing at a new place. And me personally, I stare at the photo and I am, I won't say conflicted because it's not conflict, but I respond with two different brains. The, the skeptical scientist in me looks at it and says, of course, that can be two rocks that collided in some way and eroded across the middle, and it's a strangely shaped asteroid. No problem with that. And then the 15-year-old sci-fi reading, you know, kid in me. Who, Use the force, Luke. Who knows that the world is filled with many wondrous and unexplainable things. And quite frankly, that part of me is, is equally big in my soul as an adult to the scientific sense. Those are gun ports. That is suspiciously like that little indentation to the Death Star on this oh, part here. It is, isn't it? <laughs> Could go either way on this. I love the fact that I'm invited to respond in those different, in some ways conflicting, just different parts of me as we're looking at these new things out in the universe. In that film, I always pictured myself as the lead character, but I'm just the weirdo Cassandra that goes throughout the entire, that is the first one to cry out and is the lunatic throughout the movie and yes. tells her 
proven to be actually correct. Yes. Yeah. But still a lunatic. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the apocalyptarian in you. So, hey, uh, Oscars happen to be tonight. I don't think we can let a podcast go by without giving a little bit of prediction or reflection on our movies, a movie watching of last year and what we think might happen tonight at, at the Oscars. Um, I've, got, I've actually um, watched a few. My wife and I have uh, committed ourselves to watching some of the Best Picture nominees. And um, so just over the past week, I think I'll just start by saying I think Rome is a masterpiece. Um, I think it will stand the test of time and be considered if it does win the Oscar for Best Picture, as I think it does, and in some ways hope it does tonight, I think it'll stand the test of time uh, in a way that some of the recent nominees have not. Um, and it'll be deemed a masterpiece in years hence. I thought it was just fantastic. Um, yeah, what do you guys think? What, what are your sort of topics? So, I, like you, I've not seen all of them. Uh, of the few that I've seen, um, you know, Roma to me was art. Mm-hmm. And, and I believe this will be, if, if it were to win, it's the first foreign language best mm-hmm. winner. It's the first black and white black winner, possibly, uh, in, in modern times. Um, and, and I just, uh, it's always a little bit hard because I love entertaining films. And then I like to think that I enjoy movies as art. Um, and, uh, and Roma was in, to me an, an art piece. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It really is. And I think a very special film. I also really enjoyed A Star is Born. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was very good. And, um, I read, uh, I read Carmine Paglia's, um, mm. uh, just evisceration of that movie, oh, which is funny because I'm a big fan of hers, but I just didn't buy a single word she said. Well, anyway, I thought it was good uh, and, and super entertaining. I thought Lady Gaga was very special. Mm-hmm. I'm a little bit resentful of the seems like we're getting the Glenn Close Lifetime Achievement Award, which is probably mm-hmm. deserved mm-hmm. as the best actress, but I think it's going to come at Lady Gaga's uh, expense tonight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's my prediction. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I'm probably with you on that. Well, as far as movies goes, last year I just want to do one little comment about the, an interesting movie, comic book movie that I, you know you're a big comic book movie f- fan, Jeff. Avengers: Infinity War, the first half of the conclusion. I don't see a lot of the comic books, but I got to say that as everybody knows who's watched that, paid attention, it ends with half of the sentient beings in the universe being destroyed wow. by Thanos, the bad guy. I watched that with preteens, my <laughs> my partner's three young eight and. 11-year-old kids. And, you know, to walk out of a comic book movie with this incredible sense of bummerness and depression <laughs> out of the preteens, it was remarkable. I mean, the, the guts and the gall to do a comic book movie that ended on such a bad note. i got to give them credit for that. Do you have any comments on that, Jeff? Well, so, you know, it's a, it's a comic book problem. It's a dilemma <laughs> for all comic nerds in the world uh, because you do wind up killing almost everybody <laughs> who you care about. tracks of humanity. And, and, uh, <laughs> and it's also, I, like you said, I think that one of the real fun things of, of comic books is when they turn a little bit serious and it's like you know, it's it's very much a, a look into an Malthusian sort of um, universe, and very much you, uh, you can you can spend a lot of time talking about utilitarianism and how that might be just a it might be the most gracious and merciful thing you could do is to essentially murder half of the people so that the rest would not be able to be deprived and they would have and so, but but what a bummer, man! <laughs> I mean, this isn't Howard the Duck. No, you know, this no. is a whole different uh, whole different comic. Yeah, and you know, we've talked. Talked about how we both enjoyed Black Panther, mm-hmm. and um, I'm yeah. not sure it'll win. I don't, I don't think it deserves Best Picture, but it 
it's it's almost in some ways most important picture in some ways. Yeah. And so I, I think it'll get some consideration. I really do. I, I think so too. I think and and just to wrap up with it with Infinity War to bring in existential dread into the preteen segment. You know, I think that's an important thing that we need to do at this time <laughs> they don't in have world history. That. They don't have enough of that. Exactly. I also like Black Panther. I don't think it's going to win. I loved Roma. I do think it's a masterpiece. I agree with you, Ray. I think it's going to stand the test of time. And I'm going to even go out on a limb right now, and I'm going to predict it is going to win tonight. Uh, I think the Oscar voters, they vote the way they vote for the film that makes them look the best that we are a community that values this type of film whether that's a film that goes against racism or goes against misogyny and values you know disempowered communities and whatnot to be a film that values the kind of blue collar worker the underclass if you will and values the Mexicans Mm -hmm. nation and and workers it's a double whammy at this time and place that's who they want to see themselves as being you know, being perceived as having those values, plus the fact that it's a masterpiece, I think it's going to go on and win, and I think it's deserved. Right. I'll, I'll final a couple I, I hope will win, don't necessarily think they will. Shout out to Spike Lee. I did see Black Klansman, I don't know if you saw that. I think yeah. it was a, a very good film. I don't think it was a great film. I don't think it'll win Best Film. I don't think he'll win Best Director. Uh, although I think he has a chance and I think it would be wonderful for him I think it probably would be closer to a lifetime achievement recognition which might be fair which might be fair and Quaron won the best uh, director actually a couple of years ago for Gravity so he may, they may give it to Spike Lee for that I do th- predict and hope that he'll win it for the best adapted screenplay to give him oh. uh, a legitimate cut. so it was an enjoyable film um, it wasn't his best and I also hope uh, Olivia Coleman wins for uh, best actress but I, I don't think she will actually win for that because when this She'll also be also around. Yep. I think for going close. So we shall see. Um, uh, we'll see what happens when all the craziness happens tonight. So uh, college basketball. Just to move on to a next topic is um, in the news a little bit this week when the guy who's been uh, universally has claimed as the best college basketball player in the country. Uh, suffered a minor injury, but it was due to blowing out his sneaker on a cut in what was one of the most anticipated college basketball games of the season, North Carolina against Duke, Duke being number one rated at the time. So uh, Zion Williamson um, wasn't able to finish that game. He'll be out for a couple of days. And it started these questions as to whether, you know, somebody like that should have to play college basketball at all. And if so, whether college athletes should be compensated for what they're doing. I mean, this is a guy who is of LeBron uh, caliber, Kevin Garnett caliber, Kobe Kobe Bryant caliber, and could have moved right to the pros last year. But for this rule now that's in place that says, uh, you know, people have to be a year out of high school. What what are your your thoughts about that? Well, and I like that you mentioned Garnett um, because he went straight from high school um, as Kobe did, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, and... The the fact of the matter is that it's it's I worry a little bit about um, the exceptions proving the rule or the you know the uh, you you try to Zion Williamson probably did not need to go to college although interestingly enough Zion Williams was not on the country's lips before he went to Duke and mm-hmm. played in that environment mm-hmm. and so in in many ways um, I'm a little bit surprised by the whole thing because to me it shows that one and done is actually kind of brilliant mm-hmm. in that Zion doesn't need four years mm-hmm. but in some ways the brand of Zion might have needed one year mm-hmm. um, but maybe not maybe maybe mm-hmm. Zion would have blown up um, you know it's it's like it took us. 
a world of time to know. I mean, Luka Doncic may be a, a brilliant, brilliant player, maybe the rookie of the year and that sort of thing. He's not on our lips in part because he didn't go to college. Mm-hmm. And we don't know who he is, and we don't, and we're just getting to know him in the NBA, which, interestingly enough, may not be the perfect way to get yourself known. A mm-hmm. perfect way may be to spend a year in college, but that's actually going away. We're not going to have one or done in the future. And, and I want to talk a little bit about the student athlete mm-hmm. in that. Um, to, to me, and, and you both, I, I, I'm so interested in what you guys have to say because it seems so patently absurd to me, and you guys are both for it, and so I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to hear, and so I will put it in a very sarcastic, ugly light for you, and you <laughs> try, trying to make fun of it, and, and, you'll, and you'll bring me around, and maybe we can talk about it a little bit, because, you know, easy peasy, right? No brainer. We, uh, we just take all student athletes and pay them mm-hmm. uh, because they're doing something that brings um, money to the university, except for the fact that... 90% of them don't bring any money from the university. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of them actually take money from the university. So it's a little bit like socialism. They're, everybody's money runs out at some point in time. There's not enough money right now at all to be able to pay everybody, in part because let's take a look at Dartmouth. Can we, for a second, your beloved alma mater, where you've got 35 varsity sports, 16 for men, 18 for women, and then co-ed sailing. Mm. It's nice how you bring that in there. (laughs) (laughs) But there's also 35 clubs, club sports, and there's 24 intramural sports. And and, um, Dartmouth claims that three quarters of your undergraduates participate in some form of athletics. And so we can't pay all of them. And I know we're only talking about varsity sports, but even when we're talking about varsity sports, there's not enough money to pay your squash players. I'm sure they're wonderful in Dartmouth. I'm sure they bring a great deal, but there's not enough money to pay them. And you can't pay just revenue sports, I don't think equitably, because none of those sports are women's sports. There's almost not a single varsity sport in the United States of America that is that women are on it. So do you just pay men? Mm-hmm. That hardly seems fair. Mm-hmm. Do you just pay, if you're at Duke, do you just pay the basketball players and not the football players where there's a famous disparity? Or do you flip it? And at Clemson, do you only play the football players and not pay the basketball players? So one, I don't think there's any way to equitably do it. Two, I don't think there's any way to monetarily do it. Um, I think the obvious solution is just to give them the ability to merchandise themselves or at least participate in a share of their own shirts and their own their own jerseys and maybe do autograph, although I do think that that can be ugly and harmful and difficult, but it does seem equitable Mm -hmm. and fair. So it just seems kind of like this lunacy, like basic income or Mm -hmm. socialism or Mm -hmm. whatever that does not work economically, that there's a, that you would not, that it's, there's no sense of capital creation Mm -hmm. because I get it. There's a golden goose. We want to reach down its throat and pull out more gold. But in Mm -hmm. fact, what you wind up is with the guts of a dead goose. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it would be the death of college athletics to talk about paying people Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. unless you're maybe talking about a very very small stipend that might be helpful but again i would love to hear about what the what the practicality of it in your mind Uh, i just want to answer all of your really excellent questions jeff by saying that ray is going to answer all of your very (laughs) excellent questions because he has thought about this a lot and i have not wow i just want to comment on the if anybody doesn't believe even now that there isn't some kind of intelligent consciousness in the universe 
pulling the strings on events to have the number one guy in college basketball have his shoe <laughs> blow out at the beginning of this top game between Duke and North Carolina. So we're all talking about this. Well, the, what a brilliant move, architect of the universe. I love it. There was a guy quoted. I forget if he was a, an agent or he was some. I mean, he was a guy who was. Ad, he is advocating in some way for a change to the system as it now exists. And his quote was, before that game, it's like, you you know, people th- don't know that we need to change or they think we need to change, but they don't know how severe the situation is. You just look to see what happens if Zion Williamson gets injured tonight. Oh, that was hours before Zion Williamson oh, got injured that night. Yeah. So I think, Jeff, what I, I am in favor of a new regime in some way. And if that involves paying the athletes, I, I do believe that that could be part of the solution. Solution. Um, what I think it, it, we have to acknowledge that I think that that the what you, what you didn't acknowledge there is that the situation as it now exists is corrupt in some way. It is unworkable, and I don't mean corrupt in the way that there are good, there are evil people doing nefarious things. I mean corrupt in the sense that there is an underlying. A mismatch between the missions of the organization, you know, call it schools, academics, the NCAA as an institution, and, you know, the commercial interests that are associated with the NBA and big time professional athletics. And those institutions are now aligned in a way that are just completely um, unworkable. The, the the relationships between those organizations are stressing um, the ability of predominantly institutions of higher education and the NCAA to deal with the the factors. And these are economic stresses, right? They're just not aligned. So I think we have to start with that. And, 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 and I am inclined to say that it is okay and in fact necessary to get into a regime, into a system that maybe does not, it isn't as equitable in, in other ways. It's completely inequitable now in the sense that these athletes that are generating. So I am willing to to accept other inequities, um, but that d- derive towards a bigger fairness. And so, for example, it, you know, the the, 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 the the system you proposed, you know, I mean, you started with the fact that says all Division One athletes, all of the programs, um, you know, have to uh, have something where people get paid or men's and women's sports have to be paid or you can't pay the basketball team without the football team. I would start by saying, no, that's not necessarily the case. I think you actually you can come up with some regulatory structure that ties the compensation that some of these athletes that may get to the amount of money being generated for the institution. And you can also tie the amount of money being generated for the institution to an equitable redistribution of those funds across the, the thing. So if, if Zion Williamson can be paid to a certain amount of money that is proportional or in some way reflective of the amount he's bringing to Duke and Duke is continuing to be forced to support women's athletics along with men's athletics loading to Title IX and to redistribute those funds that Zion is helping to, I think there could be a win-win-win-win-win type of scenario that doesn't put a certain very small set of athletes, these elite athletes (laughs) who are generating a huge amount of funds at such an enormous disadvantage. So I don't know exactly what the formula is, but I think there is a formula there that actually works to everybody's benefit much more equitably than it's working for now. I hear you. We will agree okay. to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it'd be illegal to pay Zion Williams because of Title IX. Change the law! 
Change, change the, the law. Title IX. Change the law. No, no, no. You, you got to give half to women, half to men. By definition, you can't have a payment or sports or anything. Title IX, it's illegal. And so I get no, it. No, no, no. I, I get it. I get it. it. You're saying that there there should be a fair way the, to do it. And I say it, you want to reach into a golden goose yeah. and pull out an egg. Well, I do. But you don't. That, you pull out intestines. Well, so answer the question. You may know better. It does the law. It does. I don't know the Title IX law, but I thought it had to do with equitable funds on the part of the university going into those programs. I buy that. Right? And, and I don't think either of us are experts. So the fact of yeah. the matter is, is that I think the idea that you're going to pay men and not women, I mean, good luck with that. And it sounds dumb and it sounds unworkable. At UConn. And our country would lose their minds and justly so. Well, so yeah. boys get paid, girls don't. I mean, don't run uh, on that. Well, that's, again, that's like, I, like, I, uh, like if, well, I think for another time, we are not going to solve this. We're going to solve this. Free energy. Yeah. Free energy is going to solve this, guys. Climate change. Here's something I think we can solve. Is Amazon the biggest dick in the world for having left New York the way they did this past week after not just, you know, teasing their entry into a new market for months upon months, getting a bunch of cities to open up, you know, details about how their internal politics work and make these enormous concessions, tax breaks and so forth, uh, you know, New York in particular. So as I think most people won, New York and uh, Virginia were awarded uh, HQ2 uh, you know, contracts, uh, but there wasn't really a contract because Amazon decided, nah, after all of the uh, discussion that was going on there, it seemed like it was going to be more trouble than reverse and they, they backed out. What do you say, Paul? Well, of course, Amazon isn't the biggest dick in the world, but you can get the biggest dick in the world on Amazon. Oh, uh, yes. for a very good right. price. You know, and I think... I'm prime. So I should, <laughs> uh, you do need to be prime. Free, free shipping is important on that. And I did not know that was available. Yes, yes. I would indeed. hope that my algorithm would put that at the top of the page, but... Uh, you, you know, know. I, I think we, we, we would probably all agree that because of a lot of their labor practices, because of a lot of their values... And a lot of the things, their, their patent kind of enforcement that they've tried to do over the years, we actually have very many reasons to despise Amazon, except for the fact that they give us everything we want immediately at the lowest price. <laughs> so we're not going to despise them. Um, I, I do think it's what they've done with New York, New Jersey to pull out. It, it's a brazen display. No, New York, not New Jersey. New Jersey had their own pitch. Uh, yes, that's yeah. right. It was Queens. it's Long, Long Island yeah. City in Queens, anyway, right? Right. It, it, it's a brazen display of an monopolistic power which will go completely unpunished, which often happens in our society <laughs> and in our global economy. Um, I I don't, you know, I, th I wish that the community leaders who, who had pushed Amazon to, you know, cut some good deals, to, to uh, to, to accord with certain community standards, that they had not been as strident as they were. Um, but th the fact is Amazon got everything they wanted and they could easily have negotiated their way to a settlement that continued to give them what they wanted while maintaining the, the illusion <laughs> of community concern that they say they had but they didn't really have. And they could have gone forward and it seems to me just almost like a fit of peak a fit of egomania for them to pull out 
take the ball and go home, which did not need to happen. So I do think the community is going to suffer. I, I think that there was the opportunity for a good redevelopment of, as well as the risk of, of extreme gentrification in this area. So there were, it was a two-edged sword of them going in there, and that's what the community leaders wanted to wanted to mitigate. But um, they, they, uh, there is going to be some suffering. You know, I mean, there were some good jobs that were going to come in. There was some good money that was going to come into the community. That's unfortunate that that's not going to happen, but that's on Amazon for pulling out of the deal. And I couldn't disagree more. Um, although, you know, we, there's a great, there's, there's, I think Amazon needs um, criticism and, and we're going to be criticizing Amazon moving forward. This is actually one situation because I am a critic of Amazon, but this is one where I, I don't think Amazon did anything wrong. Not a single thing. Um, what they did, that's a little unfortunate to us. And, and we would all like the idea that Something, a, a company that's going to drop a bunch of jobs and money into your world is, is a benefit. And so there's more than one. We all want that benefit. And so there's competition for that benefit. And so the idea that they're not going to exact a benefit for it, for example, um, I think it was like $3 billion that, that was, the, was, the, was the sweetener that New York had. A Jersey had $7 billion, and they turned Jersey down. And so this was not where they were going out and finding the biggest... Um, pie that they could eat at, at a community's uh, loss because there were there were plenty of deals that were supposedly better deals. Now, um, to say that uh, New York um, is our community as a nation or this and that, and that's just not true. I think that there are going to be neighbors, and, and that's just it, is that the local people have to be neighbors with Amazon. I think Amazon's going to find nicer neighbors, um, and New York isn't a very neighborly place generally thought of as, and, and it's not. And I think the politicians, it was a, it was very much a, a very far left um, riot against Amazon, and I think it was meant to be uh, bullying, and it was meant to be, and it was protecting their their their. You know, they were doing. I don't think they were doing it for unprincipled reasons. I just think that those reasons aren't for most of the country. Um, they're, I mean, most, you know, it's, I don't think Seattle is necessarily going to act the same way either with Denver. Um, I don't think we're up in arms. We're not angry at Amazon being here. We would welcome uh, that. And, and so is it monopolistic and them going and kind of saying, you need to give us money to come here? It is. But, you know, it was, uh, it's $120 billion that you're trading for three. And it's 40,000 jobs in a place that needs a lot of jobs. And so I think that, again, it's... Um, uh, I, I think that they got drum out of New York. The idea that they picked up the ball and went home, I think, is is really unfair. I don't think they were welcome. I don't think they were going to be welcome. And they essentially said, hey, you know, we'll, we'll go somewhere else where someone will pay us a lot of money and they will be more open to what we're, what we're trying to, to give and do. So there was a really good piece in the Wall Street Journal about this. And, um, and the fact of the matter is, is that I do think New York... Um, their mo their most strident and and ugliest voices, frankly, and also the most far left voices were heard the loudest. And I'm not sure that all of New York w is uh, is is happy that they were able to win. Well, I'm going to disagree with both of you guys in some ways. Nice. Because I actually feel that there are no bad guys in this process. Well, what fun is that? I know. Well, it's... it's I a, guess we're the bad guys. I, 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 but, but I'm being counterintuitive because everybody wants to pick who's at fault and who did the wrong thing. And right, I yes. actually feel that this process unfolded the way it probably needed to unfold. Sure. And that may not have been the case with another municipality, but I think with New York in particular, this unfolded the way 
it had to unfold. I think it wound up in the place it probably should have wound up, which is that Amazon doesn't relocate to New York, uh, given all of what we've learned yeah, about both New York be right, and Amazon. Yeah, Dang it. And right. I, I think so. And, I, and so I think we're wrong to try to cast aspersions on Amazon in the way they are, because they are operating according to who they are in terms of their DNA. Nor are we meant to, should we, cast aspersions in the way New York and New York politics work. I think Amazon is going to be just fine going somewhere else. And likewise, New York is going to be just fine without Amazon. They're, they did, New York, and you said something, and I don't know if you were talking about New York or somewhere else, Amazon does not need the 25,000, I'm sorry, New York does yeah. not need the 25,000. Oh. Would it have benefited from that in that municipality? Absolutely. Of course. Will that area, or, and certainly New York in general, continue to thrive in the tech sector? Absolutely. They are doing very well. They are a strong second place to Silicon Valley in the tech world. Gentry will continue to happen in these communities. They do not need a monolithic, you know, anchor tech firm in that area. So it will happen. They did not need to give up all of the concessions that were being given up. So, you know, the, the you know, in some senses, it seemed to be the, the leftist of the left-wing liberals who who objected to these giveaways, but there's there's legitimacy. There's legitimacy, and not the fact that well, hey, on balance, could we get better? Would it have worked out economically, and would there have been a net positive? There may well have been a net positive, oh, sure. but you know what? Oh, sure. Would there have been an even better net positive if they held their guns? Would there have been a net positive to those communities if they did? go into those negotiations insisting upon some of the protections that those folks wanted to be in place, yeah, there probably would have been a bigger net positive. So they were right to hold their guns. And likewise, on the Amazon side, you know, Amazon, when I started to see the, the all of the, the, the bureaucracy and the, 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 the lack of true community investment on Amazon, I, I was like, you're right to walk away, Bezos. It's, it, it literally is not worth it to you to go through this process to, to relocate the no. go somewhere else. Maybe you shouldn't have chosen them in the first place. So I think both sides are better off taking their going in the direction that they're going to be going. It is the right way for the culture of Amazon and the culture of New York City. Well, there's a lot of wisdom to that, um, and unfortunately, contradicting much of what I said, yeah, uh, which is too. sad for yeah. me. <laughs> I, I think that it would be an interesting thing to revisit because I, I do think that, especially the negotiations aspect of it, misses a key. You know, you always have a batna in negotiations, a best alternative to uh, negotiated uh, alternative. You know, whatever it's going to work out, whatever mm -hmm. you're going to do. And the idea that you could have extracted and probably should have as a community extracted more concessions from Amazon mm -hmm. and then having absolutely F all, nothing, mm -hmm. is, is I think it's going to be real hard to, to run that up the flagpole and talk about how that was a big touchdown you scored there. I think that, Because yeah. you're right in that they probably should have squeezed Amazon for more, mm -hmm. but but they might have missed, they might have overplayed that hand. Right. Um, and, and also, there's the, it'll be interesting to see how inviting that world seems to other tech. Right, right. With, because I think your, your, uh, your statement of the state of the world is really accurate. That I think New York, in a lot of ways, is like, we don't need you, okay? Right. Right. You may need us more than you, but it's interesting because and, that might be hubris. And th Well, that's what it came down to, which is how much do we need the other one? How much does Fair Amazon enough. need New York and how much New York needs Amazon? And the answer, the real answer is not enough. On both sides. <laughs> Maybe so. I and mean, the history thing, will show that, right. but that's a great argument yeah. that was not right. present in my argument. So right. I was glad to hear it. Yeah. Uh, right. 
good conversation though, yeah. and we and yeah, it'll it'll it, you know it, it's that it's not a controlled experiment, so we'll never know. But if uh, <laughs> I, I think the the indicator will be if if this the part of Virginia, you know, I forget the the uh, city, you know, if it just goes gangbusters and it's like the most beautiful place to live and work <laughs> right. in five years, and then those and then in Queen, <laughs> Queens, people are going to be you know it's still going to be pissed. Pretty, sort of we'll see. Not so we'll beautiful. See. Yeah, we'll see. All right. Wanted to hit you with some closing thoughts. Is that okay? Hit Are we at the point? So, so one thing I wanted to talk about is that we love partners. Usually, that's that's, and you don't have to have a partner. I'm not. I'm not casting aspersions if you don't, but a lot of us do. And and you spend time with that person, and then that person leaves for whatever reason. Um, they're going out of town. They're going to school. They're going to visit their parents or this and that. And and one interesting thing that, that people are uncomfortable talking about is how glorious it is for at least a short period of time for your partner <laughs> to be gone. You know, and and for me, I don't I don't want it to be weeks, but you know, a couple of days, I get to snap into this alternate ego, this this different person. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, and I'm not sure it's good or bad, yeah. but it feels good. It's it, different. To be, right. For me, I'm this, I've got this inner 80-year-old man who lives inside <laughs> me. <laughs> That's and who you become. I, I think <laughs> so. I think so because I wake up super early. Yeah. I go to bed super early. Yeah. I'm eating you know steaks and veggies and tater tots for every meal. I'm binge watching uh, horror and terror films because my <laughs> wife is into that, but just yeah. I'm into it more and yeah. I can watch all the garbage I want. You're indulging your particular interests. Last night, last night I had to stretch it out. I was ready to go to bed at six. <laughs> I had to stretch it out into some respectable, at least eight o'clock. People don't wind up, you know, having an intervention for me or that sort of thing. So I was wondering what your thoughts, do you find that also the case when maybe your partner uh, is away for a Definitely for a so. Time? Very glorious. I'm, I'm in day nine of my partner, Ari, being Whoa. away for 11 days. I've got two more days. Yeah. And yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it. And and I, I miss her, and I will be happy to see her when she comes. Of course. And, but during this time, I'm able to binge watch those shows, which my brother Ray has been telling me about for years. This is great. This is great. And I, of course, ask, is Arya going to like this too? No, this is one more for you. It's like, do you know how many of those I have stored up? I have a li- the Patriot counterpart. I've got seven others. Finally, right. I can actually check those out. Right. Well, I, yes. Uh, yes. Yes, 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 yes. You know, it is. A, there's a, those first few days in particular are, wow, I get to explore these things that I didn't even maybe realize that I wasn't exploring or my mind was going places it wasn't gone but then uh, you know there's always the missing and then it gets to the wanting back yeah. you know in time so it all comes around it That's all comes back thing. around yes so let's not kid ourselves guys okay you've always known wait wait wait, wait. isn't this all about kidding ourselves isn't that what's the market no, this is, we're, we're this is where it gets real okay. this is where it gets real okay so you've always known in some deep secret place in your mind that there would be a time where you guys uh, are interviewed on national television about something horrific that I have done or is going is going to take place where you are uh, just a, a myriad of microphones from mm. all over the country jammed uh-huh. in your face as you right. open the door yeah. with your coffee, your tea in hand right. um, yes. here. Yes. And uh, you know, perhaps uh, I'll be exposed uh, my penchant for hunting down and murdering serial killers. Um, you'll have that array of microphones stuck in your face, upsetting your bucolic-like, you know, Republic of Boulder existence. 
People's Republic of Boulder. And uh, you'll have to answer um, the questions like, you know, he seems so normal. And, uh, and he, you know, it's just like any other guy. Uh, but you guys would be lying to say such a thing because yes. you've never thought that. And you've never known that. <laughs> no. Um, and I thought it might be profitable for you to maybe just practice a little bit. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And just riff mm-hmm. a little bit since, you know, this podcast is a safe space for, yes. for us. And um, you've just learned something truly horrific about Jeff. And um, uh, tell me a little bit about uh, about him and, and how you knew him and, and why this is such a shock and a surprise to you. Or maybe it's not. Paul. I, yeah. <laughs> here's, how it, here's how it sounds for me. Because I can do this. I can do yeah. this, Jeff. I can. The door opens. The mics are shoved in yeah. my face. And I'm shocked. Mr. Augustinelli. Mr. Augustinelli. Mr. Augustinelli. Jeff Whedon is the last guy in the world that I would expect well, actually, that's not true. No, no, I could see Jeff. Yeah, I right. could actually see Jeff doing that. Right. This is tough, Jeff. I don't. Right. I don't think I'm gonna be able to swing it. Right. Okay. Yeah, I, you know, and I, I had the same reaction. Be like, no, the, no, the no. microphones no. are there. They're up in front of me, and I'm like. It's about time. I expected you guys a couple of years ago. <laughs> really? No. So let me tell you about Jeff. I mean, Jeff is a fantastic guy. Bullet sharp, he, fantastically acute, most knowledgeable guy. He'll show up one day though, and he thinks cats are staring at him and stuff <laughs> like this. There's a little piece of Jeff that it really is just a matter of time before something really special happened. Yeah. Now here's special. the only, here's the only yeah. thing: you, you guys with the microphones, you haven't told me yet why you're asking me about Jeff. Because it could be that he's actually just won the Nobel Prize. It could also be that he's done something completely horrific. You haven't told me yet what it is, but I'm here to tell you I always expected Jeff to be do some to be do something world shakingly special. <laughs> what did he do? What are you guys here for? Hopefully it's the Nobel. Oh, it's not the mass murder, is it? No. Yeah. So that would, that did not go. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we 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 don't. This was one of the questions we call an ambush question because I'm fun and funny and, and you guys get to get back at me and that went that went badly. Um, and so, um, well, can we answer it? Can we answer it? In the- <laughs> That's a great way to end the first spooky. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Whatever. No, you're fine. You, you finish. Have you done it yet? Or you're just, this is just, it's just, the, the guy who's done it is already done. He's in the ear mitts. So there, already why done. don't we end up with, there is a microphone and it even looks like the microphones that they, in the old style when they come up. Jeff Whedon, who I've known for quite some time, is the last guy I would ever expect to have done something to warrant all of this attention. He is, really? a, he is a man of sweet temperament. <laughs> Very smart. Not in his, his interests are always focused on his family and his friends. So to have a bunch of people coming up and thrusting microphones in my face to ask about something that might even be remotely off color is inconceivable to me. And, and offensive. If it is offensive. If by any chance, whatever he's done, and you still haven't told me what it is, should result in legal proceedings for which a character witness would be needed Please count me amongst the first people to serve as a character witness for my good friend, 
Jeffrey Lawrence Whedon. And you're you're starting the Kickstarter for it right then. And I'm starting the Kickstarter for it. That's why you're in your mouth. I just want to hear what you're saying. Exactly. I just want to know what's in your heart. I just want to know what's in your heart. Exactly. Right. You know, so here's me. Nobody, nobody of all the people I've known well, and Jeff is one of my closest friends for so long, has been able to keep the darkness so tightly locked up inside him. So I, there's no way he could have let it out. You know? Never. It's, it's inconceivable. It's inconceivable. could have escaped, right? How's that? How's that? And then is that went there. So hopefully that is an excellent, I think, spooky, very spooky ending to the first episode of Spooky Action at a Distance. Um, great chatting with you guys. We you guys. will be back. You I will. can guarantee everybody that in what form, by what name, at what length, and covering yeah. what topics, I cannot say. We but know. I can say we shall return. Love you guys. Love you guys. Love you guys. Love you guys.